Church, it's good to see you this morning. Uh, good to be here with you, and it's my joy to uh, introduce you to our guest speaker for the morning. Uh, before I do, though, uh, just a bit of background to bring you along with where we've been this week. You may recall from last Sunday that um, most of my family was homesick. Five of the seven of us were sick, and try as we did to stave off the sickness, Abby and I eventually succumbed to it uh, this week, and so um, it became very apparent around Wednesday that um, I would need to find some pulpit coverage because I wasn't sure if I would be here today, uh, be here today in this place. Uh, so, um, so I had gotten wind, guys, you'll love this. I had gotten wind that our own Budge Courier had been preparing a just-in-case sermon, that he had taken it upon himself to prepare a sermon just in case it was needed, just in case something came up, just in case I couldn't make it, just in case someone got sick. So I called Budge, and sure enough, uh, he said he was happy that if it would be of help to us, he'd be happy to step in. He has just the finishing touches on this just-in-case sermon, and uh, we're good to go. On Friday, however, Budge got very sick. <laughs> he called me after meeting with the doctor, 104-degree temperature, and he felt terrible. He felt terrible physically, and he felt terrible that he, he felt like he was letting me down and letting us down. And so Monica and I assured him that the Lord will provide in another way and that he needs to be home to rest and recover. So this was Friday around noon. And we, at that point, did not know. Um, I was still in the throes of my sickness, and we did not know who would preach when God brought us to Mr. Leonard Lee. Many of you know Leonard. You have some long-standing connection. Leonard uh, and his wife, Marilee, have been serving in this area. Leonard has been uh, involved in ministry in the Sacramento, greater Sacramento area for nearly 40 years. He has made a number of connections over that time. He's worked with young people, Youth for Christ, uh, college-aged people, uh, adults of all sorts. Um, he has pastored in congregational contexts uh, where he's been the pastor, the lead pastor of a church, and he's done uh, all types of all sorts of ministry. He travels abroad, spends about four months out of the year uh, in other parts of the world and a discipling ministry that he and Marilee are part of. And I know that he has some very neat connections with many of you. Uh, Leonard and I have run in some of the same circles over the years, but as circumstances would have it, we were just never able to connect until this week. So I called Leonard at about 1 o'clock Friday afternoon and explained the situation. 
And without any hesitation, he said, if I can be of help, I'm happy to be there. And I so appreciated the time that that phone conversation we were able to share, and I quickly felt a kinship with him. I appreciated his attitude, the way he carried himself. I appreciated the questions he asked me about our church and how sensitive he was to want to flex uh, around us and not the other way around. Even how, um, and you'll appreciate this, even though he wanted to make sure that I wouldn't have to come in behind him and undo anything that he had done. <laughs> and I just appreciate his sensitivity in that regard. So, um, so with very little notice, um, Leonard agreed. And, uh, and so will you please welcome with me um, Mr. Leonard Lee. What a joy to uh, see some very familiar faces. I'll tell you this, that Lyle and I have known each other the longest of anybody in this room. Uh, we grew up together. He was 15 minutes older than me. Did I, is that okay? And a few years as well. And, uh, and so we've known each other for a long, long time. Our families have been close friends. His mother, uh, Billy Brown, was one of the sweetest, most tender women that I've ever met, and she, uh, church had two subjects for a little boy like me, sit down and be quiet, I failed both, but she just had a way of hugging me and reminding me that even though I was failing those subjects, I didn't fail Jesus, and so I'm indebted to the Brown family for the way that they have loved, uh, they loved me, and so I'm just very grateful to be here. What a privilege to see many other faces and folks that I know uh, over the years, um, several years ago, I was driving down Sylvan Road. Most of you know where that's at. I was driving down Sylvan Road, and I, as I'm driving, I see a guy in, literally in the middle of the street walking with his dog. And I'm thinking to myself, this is not a normal occurrence, because I'm smart that way. And I'm thinking, something's going on, but he had, a, he had a, 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 a leash on his dog, but it was more like a frame. And I thought, this guy is blind. And he's in the middle of the road, and and so I pulled my car over, and I got out, and I said, Mr., Mr., and he goes, what, what? I said, you are in the middle of the road. Your dog, who's supposed to keep you on the side of the road, has led you to the middle of the road. And he's, he's like, are you sure? And I said, I'm the guy with eyes. I'm sure. I know this is true. And so he's in the middle of the road. So I got him off to the side of the road, and we, <laughs> I, got, I got in my car, and I said, do you want me to drive you somewhere? No, 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 I can walk. And I said, okay. I drove away, and I see him smacking his dog on the head. And I thought to myself, um, that is such a great illustration for us today. See, because wherever you look, you end up going. In fact, what you see determines what you do. That's why God so passionately says, I'd like you to look to me, the author and the finisher of the faith. That's why he says, keep your eyes on Jesus. We know the story of Peter as he, as he walked on the water, the moment he took his eyes off of Jesus, he sunk. And all of us have been like that more than once in our lives. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to take a familiar passage and see if we can't walk through it together. So if you have a Bible, open it up to Romans 12. And we're just going to take a, a walk through Romans 12. But I want to talk about it in light of what we see. 
The Bible says that the tender mercies of God are what? You know that? New every morning. Isn't that great? What good news that is because I'm pretty sure that more than once in my life, I used up almost all of them for the day. And I got up the next morning and there they were fresh. I didn't have any stale ones from the day before. I didn't have any mercies that, that were, had expiration dates. God just simply knew me and said, I've got enough to last you this entire day. And I'm so grateful to God. And so in Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3, uh, Paul writes this, these, this letter to the church in Rome, and he's saying to them, listen, folks, only way to get to Jesus, only way to get to heaven, only way to enter the kingdom is Jesus Christ. It's it. Not your works, not your religions, not your goodness, not your heritage. It's only Christ. And then in chapter 4, he reminds us that God has always worked through faith. Always worked through faith. There's never been another way of but grace and faith by which we enter into the kingdom of God. And then, and then in chapters 5 through 8, he reminds us that, that what God has done in us, this position we receive because of our trust in Christ, he completes in us through the Holy Spirit working in us, and that's the process. The position is called justification. The process is called sanctification. And so he's taking us on a journey of all that God has done. And, and it's really, really an, an amazing, amazing question. What shall we say then in Romans 8 to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not even spare his own son, but offered up freely for us all, how will he not with him give us everything else? We need new mercies every morning. Amen? And then in chapters 9, 10, and 11, we're reminded that in a sentence that God can do whatever he wants with whatever he chooses. That's called sovereignty because God's in charge. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. But then we get to chapter 12 and he says, now that I've laid this groundwork for you, I want to teach you how to live it out. And so he says, in view of God's mercies, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God. Now, I was, a, I was a kid who grew up playing Little League, and I had a problem. If you threw the ball over the plate, I could hit it, but if you threw anything that had a curve or movement, I couldn't hit it. And so my coach was always telling me, Lee, just keep your eye on the ball. And I said, Coach, I'm trying, I'm trying, but I just could not hit it. And so I, I sat in the batting cages just trying to keep my eye on the ball, and I hit toss-ups, and I hit it off the tee, and I still did not succeed well. But this morning, I just want to encourage us as a church, as, as people who belong to God, as people who Christ has redeemed. We sang these songs about this amazing love. How can it be that you, my God, would die for me? I want to remind us that this morning, what we see affects how we live. And Paul knows this. And so as he's writing this, this beautiful letter, really just to introduce Phoebe to the church in Rome, but it turns into this theological thing that we have that, that was instrumental in the Reformation and it's a beautiful letter. And there's, uh, some historians say at this time in Rome there was probably 1,500 to 2,000 Christian churches in Rome. And they all met in these little places, some of them up to four or 500 people, some of them just 30 or 40 people. And imagine this letter being copied again and again and again being spread out and they'd read it. And they get to this one part of the letter. Now, in view of God's mercies, 
in view of God's mercies. Can I tell you how affecting that is to us? What do you see? When you look around, what do you see? It's, it's pretty tempting to see a lot of bad things. It's pretty tempting to see the political landscape and miss the mercies of God. It's pretty tempting to see the moral landscape of our culture and miss the mercies of God. And yet we sit here free. We sit here with, with no worries. I travel places that you sit in a room like this in a church and every time they hear a motorcycle go by, everybody stops and looks because they're waiting for a Muslim to deliver a bomb on that motorcycle. And they're terrified. We live so wonderfully in the mercies of God, but it's not that that he's talking about. In view of God's mercies, here's what I want you to do. I want you to present yourself to God for others. I want you to present yourself to God for others. Now, we have a problem in the U.S., and, and it's, it's a cultural thing, and, and I don't know that it's, it's, it's that terrible, but it's just how we are raised. We're raised on rugged individualism, bootstrap theology, let's get ourselves together. But I don't know if you understand that, that most of the New Testament letters, were, wherever you read you, it's not you, it's plural. It's all of you. If we were in the South, we'd say y'all. All y'all, every one of us. And so here's what he's saying. I'm urging you, all of us, to keep our eye on the mercies of God. And as we do, you need to present yourself to God for others. Here's how the text says it. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God. By the way, I'm reading in the New English Version. Um, present yourself as your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, that it is good and acceptable and perfect. We tend to think of Paul's instruction here as moral instruction. But when you begin to read the rest of chapter 12, it's actually relational instruction. He's saying, I need you to present yourself to God in view of others. I need you to present yourself to God for the sake of other people because here's what he does. He gives us instructions on how to live with each other. What's that old saying? To live above with saints we love. Oh, that will be glory. To live below with saints we know. Now that's a different story, right? And God's, God values unity at such a high place. You can't have holiness without unity. You can't have purpose without unity. And he says, so here, in view of all that God has done, here's what I want you to do. I want you to come and present yourself as a living sacrifice for the sake of others. There's a person, you may know her. Um, her name is Shirley Boswell. Some of you know her. Shirley Boswell was my first grade teacher. She had just graduated from Bob Jones University, and I was the terror she had to meet in her very first class. Now, I want you to know that I'm not exaggerating when I say this. I probably got paddled five times a day, and that was my good days. My sister was in second grade. They had first and second together. If you've ever met my sister, she's the best of all of our siblings and the best in our family. She's an amazing person. So she was always good. And so she had always, I'm going to tell on you, and Shirley would say, no, no, I'll take care of it. But every time she paddled me, she would scoop up in her arms 
this little boy who was crying and she'd say, Leonard Lee, God made you special and he has something he wants to do with your life. And I get up every morning and I pray that God would help me teach you to be what God made you to be. See, that's a person who's presented herself to God as a sacrifice for others. She did that. And she shaped, like almost no other adult in my life, who I became. It was a rough time in my family. But she hugged me, and she squeezed me every time she paddled me. And sometimes even when she didn't paddle me. See, who are you presenting yourself to God for? Who's that person that you'd say, you know, this is the one God told me it's on my heart, it's on my mind. What neighbor is it? What barista is it? That's a coffee maker in case you're wondering. What, what, uh, what enemy is it? We don't really have enemies today. We have some, they're nemesis maybe, they bother us. And so what we, we avoid our enemies, which is not what actually Jesus said to do. He said, go love your enemies, go pray for them and Go, you can't love them from a distance because love is a verb and you got to get up close and personal and you got to say, hey, I'm here for you. Who are you presenting yourself to? Because see, that's what happens when you keep your eyes on the mercy of God. When you remember how God's been merciful to you, it does something. It transforms you. And it changes you into someone that looks like Jesus who loves his enemies. It goes on. And he says, not only do I want you to present yourself to God for the sake of others, but keeping, keeping your eyes on the mercies of God changes how I think about myself in light of others. It changes how I think about myself in light of others. You might not have this problem, but I do. When I get up in the morning, my first thought is not Jesus, it's usually me. And it's, oh, how come I can't sleep past this time? Or what did I sleep on that felt like marbles? Or that backache I had, I thought it would be gone after rest and it's not. Or here's what I have to do today. When I present myself to God and keep my eyes on the mercy of God, he begins to change and transform that much more quickly so that I actually see myself and think about myself in light of others. Here's how the text puts it. Verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. But think with sober judgment. Do you like the contrast there? When you think of yourself too much, you're drunk on yourself. You have no sobriety in your judgment. It's easy to become selfish when all you see is self and not even know it. It's easy to let that happen. That's why the mercies of God are new every morning because they come and they transform us. We say, ah. Now I can think of others. Can I, re- can I rephrase what I, I think Romans 12, 3 says? With enthusiastic joy, give what you got. Don't finish the hunt with all your bullets. See, I hunt, and I like to go out and do things like that. And I came home from hunting a while back, and my wife said, how'd it go? And I said, well, I have all my bullets still. And she said, I don't think that's good. I said, it's not. What a shame it would be if you and I finished our lives with all of our bullets. What a tragedy in view of the mercies of God that pour out on our lives every day, 
every morning, brand new, fresh from God mercies. If we finished our life with all of the bullets in our, all the arrows in our quiver, every, what if we had it all? And God says, no, no, no. In view of God's mercies, I want you to think of others more highly, not yourself. Uh, here's what I want you to do. He says, for as in we live in one body, and we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Do you know that you belong to each other? You can look at each other and just say it this way, I'm your property. Now that, that's, that doesn't even leave a good taste sometimes, does it? Because we don't trust the people that we would, might say that to. But we have to trust the God who instructs us to live that way. See, part of the struggle that we have with forgiveness and all these other kinds of relational issues is we don't trust the people who've harmed us. And that's not the issue. The issue is do we trust the God who says forgive? Do we trust the God who says seven times 70? Do we trust the God who says lay down your life and serve someone else? Give what you have away. Do good to those that harm you. Pray for those who persecute you. The one who said those words three years later was hanging on a cross doing the very thing. It's an amazing, amazing journey Jesus took on this earth. He goes on and he says this, that we're members, we all belong to each other. and We all have different gifts according to the grace given us. So let's use them. If your gift is prophecy, man, use it in proportion to your faith. If your gift is service, then, then serve. And if it's teaching, then teach. In the one who exhorts in exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Here's what he's saying. In view of God's mercy, keep your eye on that ball, seeing God's mercy, seeing that it's new every morning, I'd like you to present yourself to God for others. And here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to think about yourself in light of others. He's not telling us to forget yourself. He's telling us to place ourselves in a proper perspective. So we think about ourselves in light of other people. We think about ourselves in the way that we affect other people. We think about ourselves in what we have to give other people. By the way, you all got new mercies this morning. You know what that means? You have new mercies to give. Isn't that great? God never in intended any of his gifts to stay with you. They were meant to land on your life and then flow through your life. These new mercies are amazing. When I keep my eyes on the mercies of God, it changes how I think about myself in light of others. But there's more than that. Keeping my eyes on the mercies of God changes how I live in community. How I live in community. Now, community is a word that is, that is a little bit overused sometimes. And so I just want to see if I can give you a small definition of it. Community is what's taking place right now. We're together, we're hearing the word of God and we're sharing it. Community is what takes place a half hour before church. Community is what happens in small groups and in your life groups. Community is what happens when one of you has a problem, they call and they say, could you pray for me? And the answer is yes. Community is what takes place when we serve one another, when we love one another, when we use our gifts to build each other up. As a pastor of almost 20 years, here's what I found is that most followers of Jesus use their gifts outside of the church, not in the church. Now I'm okay with that if they used them in the church too. 
But we've got incredibly brilliant leaders who are doing amazing work out here and they don't know where to fit in here. And it's our job to say, bring that in and let's find a place. Let's not rest until we do. Because that's what happens when you keep your eyes on the mercy of God. When you keep your eyes fixed on that, when you look at that, God, what have you done? Look what you've done. And when he says the mercies of God, we know that mercy is to withhold what we deserve. But that's actually not what he's saying here. What he's saying here is, I want you to get the whole package of the generosity of God. It's grace and mercy all tied together. It's his generosity. Keep your eye on the generosity of God who says every morning, I got something new for you. Every morning, I've got something special for you. Just meet me. Let's do this. Let's find a way. Let's don't finish our hunt with all the fall of our bullets. Here's how he says it in Romans 12, verse 9. Let your love be genuine. By the way, I take this passage of Scripture, these, these uh, four or five verses here, and you could just spend hours and hours working on them because they're full. Here's what he says. Let your love be genuine. So here's what church looks like. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you doing? <laughs> Let your love be genuine. Been a hard week. I think I missed the download of the mercies of God this week. It's been a hard week. The news wasn't good. It's been a great week. Can I share some of what God did with me in my life with you? It's not just about, about picking up each other's burdens. It's about sharing your joys. It's about sharing how God led you to a brand new place. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Boy, there's a great statement, isn't it? Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Now, listen. This is in the context of relationship. This is not in the context of morality. So we might be tempted to say, abhor what is evil, and we can look at our culture. Because there's a lot of bad stuff out there, isn't there? But that's not what he's talking about. He's saying, abhor what is evil in your relationships. You know what destroys churches? Gossip. It just destroys. And we... Gossip makes you feel like you're powerful when in reality, you're not. That's why we do it. Gossip gives you inside knowledge that you weren't meant to have and shares it with somebody who wasn't meant to have it. Gossip destroys relationships. Paul uses the word gossip twice in, in his instructions to Timothy. Timothy, the second time he used it, uses it, he uses the word diabolo. You know what we get from that, don't you? Patriots. No, just the devil. See, the reality of it is gossip comes straight from the pit of hell. And yet we do it so easily. We do it as people. And he's saying that destroys relationships. Abhor what is evil in a relationship. Selfishness. Greed. Unforgiveness. Abhor those things. Cling to what is good in a relationship. Love. Connection. Christ at the center. Hold on tight to those things. He goes on to this. He says, love, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. So what if your pastor said next week, we're going to have a contest. And it's not your normal contest. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a contest to see who can honor each other best. And we're, and, and, cause you're going to outdo each other. That's the connection our community should have. It's how we live in community. We should be working overtime to think, how do I honor someone else? 
How do I honor someone else? I got, a, I got a confession to make. Can I make a confession? You won't tell anybody, will you? It's a secret. I spent a lot of years of my life trying to figure out how I could get my honor. I was afraid to share it with other people. And God one day said, you're never going to get yours until you share it and give it to other people. It has that preoccupation with self thing, you know? How, how will people know how good I am if I don't tell them? And he says, it's not about your goodness. It's about mine. And God corrected and transformed me in that. I don't, I don't say I'm perfect. Man, I really struggle. But that's what he works on. Here's what he says. Outdo one another in showing honor. I love that. So there's a contest going on here at, at the church. We're just going to see who can honor the best. And the winner gets to serve lunch. That'd be good, huh? Here he goes on. He says, don't be slothful in zeal. Has God ever given you an idea to serve somebody and you sat on it until it went away or it was too late? Has that ever happened to you? Happened to me lots of times. You know, that, that person that serves you coffee and you say, man, I just feel like I should pray for them and I don't. Because be, it's weird. It's awkward, right? Or that person who, who uh, lives in your house and you say, man, I should probably do this for my wife and think nah you know and you forget or you get busy that's being slothful and zeal that's saying man I, I, I let I let the voice of God expire instead of ignite and that's what we're to do we're to let it ignite because it's not Satan telling you hey go serve somebody it's not Satan saying hey pray for that person it's God don't be slothful. Don't be slow in your zeal. Be fervent in your spirit. Serve the Lord. Whew. Uh, when, I, when I began to understand what that meant, uh, here's what I figured out. It's not what I have to do. It's what I get to do. I don't have to travel. I get to travel. I don't have to preach. I get to preach. And I hope you heard that spirit as we talked, Wayne, that this is what I get to do. What an honor. What a privilege to stand up here with the word of God in front of me and to serve you this way. It's what we get to do. It's not what we have to do. He goes on, he says this, rejoice in hope. Boy, we could do that all day. Be patient in tribulation. I have, I have a, I had a mother who was the most amazing woman. She was incredible. A month before she died, she was still discipling 15 women in her house. What an amazing woman. But she'd say to me every day, I just don't do patience very well. And then she would say, you know, and I, I know I'm not supposed to pray for it because then. And I would say every time, Mom, that's crazy talk. If patience is really that good, you should pray for it. And do you think God is in heaven like some big mean genie going, oh, they prayed for patience, back up the trouble truck. I don't think so. I think he goes, yes, that's what I want because I'm patient. See, God's patience for you gives grace and truth time to do something. And so when I have patience, I give grace and truth time to do something because that's what the Holy Spirit's working on, right? He's trying to get something done in our lives. So he says, be patient in difficulty. <laughs> Constant in prayer. That's a good one. Contribute to the needs of the saints. 
and seek to show hospitality. Boy, that's a, that's a mouthful right there, isn't it? Can I encourage you to do something this week? Would you just take those few verses and just read them every day? Just say, you know, and then, and then don't, don't beat yourself up going, oh, I'm terrible. Because I'm you got a whole new bucket of mercies every morning by which to do these things. When you say, God, that's how I want to live, he does not in heaven go, yeah, we'll see. He already knows. When you say, God, that's how I want to live, he goes, all right, now we're on the same page. You're not going to return from this hunt with all your bullets. I like that. That's how God works. Keeping my eyes on the mercy of God allows me to present myself to God for others. It allows me to, to think of others better. It allows me to live in community. It also does this, keeping my eyes on the mercy of God, helps me deal with people in difficult places. You ever had that person that troubles you? Kind of a thorn. Yeah, I could be that person. But they don't tell me if I am. We, here, the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, listen, this is all about our relationships. You surrender yourself to God as a living sacrifice so that you can live these kind of relationships. By the way, you can't live these kind of relationships until you sacrifice yourself on the altar of God. Then you prove the God, that God's will is good and perfect. This is how God's good and perfect will is lived out. This is a better way to live, but it's counterintuitive. Forgive other people. Here he says, bless those who persecute you. Now that doesn't make sense in our culture. Bless and do not curse them. We've got people that we curse that don't even bother us. They're not even connected to us. They just simply vote differently. They just simply think differently. He says, no, 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 no. We're going to stop doing that. I want you to bless them. I want you to pray for them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. That's not too bad. Weep with those who weep. That's kind of tough because we like to fix those who weep, not weep with them. Because crying makes us feel awkward. By the way, ladies, if you want to make a man lose IQ points, just cry in front of him. And he goes, oh, I don't know what to do with that. Those are tears. What are you? Uh, and then we try to fix stuff. How many times has a wife said to her husband, don't fix this, just listen. Just weep with me. Just feel what I feel for a moment. Weep with those who weep. He goes on, he says, live in harmony with one another. He's talking about difficult people now. He's not talking about the people you love. He's talking about people that are difficult. Live in harmony with them. Match up the notes of your life with them, is what he's saying. Find a place where you can do music together. Not real music, but life music. Match up the notes of your life. Don't be arrogant. Associate with the lowly. Hmm, that's a tough one. I spent a year uh, in Bible college working on Skid Row. And uh, right there in L.A., and we'd go into uh, the rescue mission, and man, we'd step over dead bodies we would, just to get in. And I, my first time, I was, they asked me to preach. And they said, Leonard, you preach. You're going to be a preacher someday. And I'm like, all right. So I just did what I heard everyone else do. I preached about heaven and hell. And a guy stands up, and he looks at me. What do you know about hell? You're just a kid. I was like a deer stuck in the headlights of a car. I went, he's right. He's right. I was rescued by the guy who ran the mission. He said, sit down or you don't eat. <laughs> he sat back down. I finished my message. Gave the invitation. Nobody moved. 
And then I went off to the side and I just sat in a chair and I wept. And somebody came to me and said, Leonard, why are you crying? It's okay, that happens. I said, no, 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 no. I dishonored him because I don't know what hell's like. And I'll never preach in this mission again until I do. I went every week, served food, gave blankets, prayed over people, did music, did whatever I could. But I never preached there again because I had not learned what hell was like. Associate with the lowly because they need new mercies every morning too, don't they? Associate with the lowly. Get, get dirty. Get all the way up to your elbows. When we were doing student ministry, we filled our house with, uh, with, with gang members and drug addicts and all these kids would come and we had this box that said this is the weapon box and so if you carry a weapon into my house you have to put it in this box because I don't want you having any guns or knives around my family and people say why do you do that they're bloods they're crips they're skinheads and they all would sit in my house together and I'd say because I know this Jewish guy that lived a long time ago that loves him his name's Jesus and so I'm going to tell him and we do that and these kids would go, really? You mean God loves me like that? People say, why do you do that? Because it says right here, that's what we're supposed to do. Get dirty with other people so that you can tell them about Jesus. He goes on and he says this. This is so good. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. Solve your conflict with honor. Wow. Now that's some good advice, isn't it? When people see you resolve a conflict, they should be able to look at you and say, there's some honor in the way that they handled that. There's some honor in the way they dealt with that. Then he goes on, he says, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And about this time, somebody always says, well, what about, what about that person who didn't apologize? Am I supposed to forgive that person who keeps doing the same thing again and again and again? The instruction of Scripture and forgiveness, my forgiveness is not based upon your response, but upon Christ's forgiveness of me. Forgive as your Father forgives. Be kind, tenderhearted, love one another, and forgive as Christ forgives. I don't forgive others because they've apologized. I don't forgive others because they've repented. I forgive others because I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. We just sang that, didn't we? I'm forgiven because he was rejected. Wow. There's some truth in here that I think I need to keep working on. Live peaceably with all. Beloved. Notice the tender way he heads into this next sentence. Beloved, my dear friends. My dear people, people who I love so much, never avenge yourselves. What's that word? Never? That's some serious, serious thinking right there. Never avenge yourself. Can I tell you what? I wasn't taught that as a kid. I was taught make them an offer they can't refuse. Sock them in the eye. Don't be a victim. I was taught that. Never avenge yourself. Leave it to the wrath of God. Because it is written, vengeance is mine. Whose is it? It's the Lord's. Both of you got that. Whose is it? It's the Lord's. Leave it to Him. 
God has a much better way of taking care of you than you do. And then he goes on and he says this, I will repay, says the Lord. It's a promise. And to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, I grew up hearing this, that when you do this, they're going to be so ashamed at your kindness. It's like you're just going to shame them. You're going to heap these burning coals on their head. They're going to walk around going, ah, man. That's not what he's saying at all. See, fire was life. And he says, and when, when your fire went out, you would take a pot and you'd put it on your head. You'd put a thing on your head first. And then you'd go to your neighbor and you'd say, could I have some coals? Because I can't cook. I can't heat the water. I can't heat my house. I can't do anything unless you give me coals. And he says, when you have an enemy, give them life. That's what he's saying. Wow. Is that crazy? That's just crazy to me. And he says, in doing so, you'll, re- you'll heap burning coals on their head. Now, I wanna, I wanna, I'm going to close here in a minute, but I want to just say, we have a common way of living in our world. It's what everybody does. It's common. Don't forgive your enemies. That's common. Jesus came in and said, the kingdom of God is uncommon. And he wants to take this uncommon world that is us. We are the kingdom of God. It's within us. It's around us. We're a part of it. The church is the kingdom of God. And he says, I want to take this uncommon world and I want to take this kingdom of God and I want to place it straight on top of the common world so that the world could look at it. And that's what he means when he says, let your light shine before men so that they could see your good works and glorify the Father in heaven. You're a light. You're the salt of the earth. You don't light something and then hide it. You light it and let it shine. You're in this kingdom. And take this uncommon living and place it over top of the common world and show them the mercies of God are new every morning. And in Matthew 7, we come across that sentence and it says, and we all swallow hard at that maybe, and we say, Jesus says, many are going to come to me on that last day and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, didn't we? Didn't we? And they're going to have this list of things that they did and he's going to say, I don't know you. Can I give you a way I understand that? You don't have to accept it, but here's what I think he means. I think he's saying this. You were so common, I never recognized you. You lived for Jesus in a common way instead of forgiving you held on to your grudges but you had people pray but you just held on to them instead of loving your enemies instead of instead of doing your 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 works before god you did them before man and jesus says in the last day i'll say you just look like the rest of everybody i didn't recognize you i never saw my kingdom come through you And God invites us to say, I want you to live uncommon. So we finish this. Keeping my eyes on the mercies of God changes how I use my power. Now some of us think, what power? What power do I have? Well, when you ask Christ into your life and forgive your sins and you committed yourself to him, here's what he did. He sent his Holy Spirit to live in you. The moment you put your faith in Christ, the Spirit of God came to live in you. See, that's in Ephesians chapter 1. And as we go through Ephesians 1, here's what he says. He says, I'm praying for you, and I'm praying for you because you have all this power, and you need to know how to use it. See, inside of you right now, you don't have to go get it. You already have it because the Spirit of God 
lives in you, you have the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Now that's some pretty stiff power, isn't it? He's the greatest of all time. Jesus is the goat. It's not, it's not Brady or, or anybody else. It's Jesus. See, that power raised Jesus. You have the kind of power that brought Jesus literally out of the grave. Not three hours dead, not three days, but three days dead, embalmed, stone rolled up front and got him out of the grave. You have that power in you right now. It's in you. And didn't you feel that powerful when you got up this morning? It's like, man, I feel that. Woo! That's in you right now. But it didn't just raise him from the dead. You know what it did? It exalted him. It didn't just say, okay, now you're alive. Go about your business. It says it took him and then it exalted him into the heavenly realms and seated him at the right hand of the throne of God where he dispenses the mercy and grace of God. Wow. That's incredible. And that power, he says, is in you right now. The problem of Christianity is not that we lack power. It's that we don't know how to use it. When Jesus was on earth, he said this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Anytime you read that in the Bible, it means power, okay? Just know that. The spirit of the Lord is upon me and he's anointed me. And anytime you read that in the Bible, it means purpose. So God has given me the power and the purpose right now. Jesus is saying this. He's reading the scroll of Nazareth. Luke 4, you can look it up. And he's appointed me to preach good news to the poor, to go rescue those who are enslaved, to bring healing to those who are sick, who are broken, to lift the burdens of the oppressed and to say, this is the year, this is the moment, this is the time that grace and hope live. And Jesus said, that's how I'm gonna use my power. And the most confusing thing about Jesus from that point on was they expected him to use his power differently. And he said, no, I'm gonna use my power this way. And then once in John 13, he looked at his guys and he washed their feet. He says, now that you've seen how I use my power, would you do the same? This is what Paul's telling us. Romans chapter 12. It's all about our relationships, not our morality and how we live together. Would you pray with me? Father, we just uh, ask that you would by your grace give us the ability to see how amazingly great those mercies are Lord give us give us tools to access them more and more and God would you do all this for your honor not for ours we love you not because we're noble but because we have been loved by you we pray this in Jesus name Amen